Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. CJ, how does it feel to have your name on the best 30-minute podcast out there that isn't actually 30 minutes. People like to point that out in the comments whenever we do shows now. Yeah, I've seen a lot of that there. I'm. Uh, it feels great, man. Honestly, <laughs> all of it feels great. I was thinking today, I was out for my morning jog, and I was like, it's just crazy how quickly this has all happened in, in a sense. You know, you get busy with your life, and we're recording these shows twice a week, and, and every, you know, time's going quick. And then I'm like, I'm hearing from some random people I haven't honestly talked to since high school that I would never have thought would be listening to a hockey podcast. Obviously, as we mentioned in the last episode, people from all over the globe. I mean, it just, you, you kind of, you and I record this with Jesse Blake in the background from yeah. our, you know, I'm in my, my kitchen here, you're at home and um, you, you almost forget it actually goes out into the universe and people interact with it. And so, you know, I've, it feels great. I know that wasn't the spirit of your question, maybe, but it's just cool to have a community uh, lining up around us. At least you answered my question as opposed to my Sedine hypothetical in the last episode oh, where you danced come around on, it. Come I'm just on. playing. It's okay. I don't purposely ask these questions to get you in trouble. Also, I should mention, uh, I did, uh, before we get to all the topics, I'll just mention this small note here. I did the athletic hockey show with Ian Mendez. And Ian seemed to be very concerned uh, about the fact that uh, I was quote unquote stolen away. Or maybe he didn't say stolen away, but you get the sense. Uh, he was he was concerned that uh, I was being stolen away from the CJ show uh, to do that show. I just want you to just say it's okay and that, you know, it was I had your permission all along to go from show to show. I mean, it doesn't really matter, but just just so he feels better. Ian Mendez is one of the true gentlemen in our industry, so I'm not surprised you would say that. We don't own you. Nobody owns you, my man. You you just let those wings take the take them where they will. Uh, we're just happy to share two times a week with you right now. All right, let's get into some hockey stuff. Uh, we are about a couple, what, about an hour and a bit off of uh, Jim Benning's media availability with Vancouver fans. I'm not going to lie. When I saw the tweet from Vancouver PR uh, saying that he was going to speak to the media, I thought, hey, maybe there's going to be a change in behind the bench. Uh, the Canucks uh, lost yet again on Wednesday night against the Colorado Avalanche. They had a slightly better effort than what they produced over the last few games, but a loss is still a loss. Uh, CJ, I know you were quoting some quotes from that presser. What was Jim Benning saying? What was the sense of the press conference or your takeaways from his media availability with uh, the media out in Vancouver? Well, let's call it as it is. This was a no-win situation. I mean, when you're at the spot the Canucks are in, you know, you heard people last night at the game um, chanting fire Benning. I know it wasn't the whole crowd, but there was a portion um, you know, I don't know there's anything you can really get in front of a microphone and say and win the day. And I say that knowing, look, we're both journalists, like, like the journalists out there deserve to be able to ask these questions. I mean, they are the conduits to the fans, but you know, I, if you put yourself in Jim Benning's shoes, I don't, I don't know there was really anything that you could win the fans over with. I mean, this, this is giving me big time vibes back to where the Maple Leafs were just before Brandon Shanahan came in as the new president and completely clean house, like from top to bottom in, in the organization. And I'm not predicting that will be the outcome here. I think there's some, some key differences in that, but 
you know, that there was a season seven years ago, the Leafs lost a game to Nashville is actually seven years ago today. It's what maybe is put yep. in my memory, nine to two to Nashville. And then they get the whole salute gate thing. And they just, they were a team that was meant to compete that became non-competitive. Um, and, you know, it wasn't as though they were completely bereft of young prospects. I mean, Morgan Riley and Nazem Kadri were both, you know, recently drafted players on that team. You know, you, you still had Phil Kessel and Dion Phaneuf and Joffrey Lupo. I mean, you, you had, you had what should have been at least a competitive team and they weren't, they weren't finding ways to win any games. And, and the fan base was very restless with the plan. And so, you know, what you hear from Jim Benning in his press conference, we're fragile. We're looking at everything. Certainly not any sense that he feels his job is safe or that we should say that Travis green, his head coach's job is safe. Um, but you know, I, it feels like we're getting closer to where you need to see something and whether that's a firing or multiple firings or, or a return to form for the team. You know, if, if the team bounces back and wins some games that, that would, that would ease things here. And so, you know, you get the sense Jim Benning's trying to hold off. He's trying to like keep back winter. You know what I mean? He's, he's this huge immovable object that's coming at him and he's just trying to hold it off in time for things to write themselves. And, you know, this is, this is, this is sort of like a soap opera right now. This is the most, combustible situation in the league by far and it's a combustible market and and with good reason you know i think that they're you know eight years into the five-year plan there and they're still in the situation so you know i'm certainly not picking on the fans by by terming them that way but man it, it was it was difficult to watch frankly from afar it was just i didn't feel like he was in a position where he could say anything and i didn't feel like the reporters were in a position where they could really advance the story was there a moment in the press conference where Jim Bedding kind of handled a question and you really felt like, like you mentioned the fact off top that yes, it was pretty much a no win situation, but what was the question or answer that really kind of reaffirmed that? What was the back and forth or what question was asked that made you realize, man, like Jim Bedding really isn't tough in this press conference and in his job in Vancouver? Well, probably the question from Farhan Lalji where he literally said, what about your own job? I mean, you know, I actually don't know Jim Benning that well, but like I can still see the human being behind the situation, right? And it would be hard to imagine after hearing people chanting for your job to have to face the media and then take that kind of question. And, and you know, I thought he handled it fine in that he said, you know, basically that's up to ownership. You know, that's not up to me. Um, again, not not really sure what more he could say, but, you know, I think it was clear he understands what's at stake here and what the possibilities are and all those types of things. And so you know, that was probably the one just cause that's kind of a moment of truth type of question. You know, he was also asked about Travis green, as I mentioned, and sort of danced around that without saying, you know, he, he said the coaching staff's working hard. They're in there trying to find solutions, but this is weighing on them. He said that a lot, like this is weighing on all of us. You know, you can feel this, this heavy sort of smoke that's, that's, that's on everyone's shoulders. Everyone's carrying around a backpack full of rocks right now in the Canucks organization. And so you know, I, I I do get why he spoke, and I get why they, they they allowed the media to do that. But man, it's it's like you either need wins or someone's losing their job. Like something has to give. That's that's where it really feels like they're at. Last question on on the Canucks: Did you watch them on Wednesday night against the against the uh, the Colorado Avalanche? It's totally cool if you did. And I'm just curious if you did. Period a half. Uh, actually, didn't think they played poorly, but you know, I think the one thing we all underestimate. I mean, first of all, Colorado is you know, still one of the best teams in the league. So there's maybe a bit of a talent or roster disparity there to, that accounts for the, the way the game went. But also, you know, I think that momentum and, and confidence really is, you know, a huge part of the sport that's, that's sometimes hard to put your finger on. You know, 
wasn't so long ago the Leafs really stumbled out of the gate and they lost the game seven to one in Pittsburgh and lost two nights later in Carolina. And then they won nine of 10, um, you know, and, and look more sort of like what you'd expect their star players scoring and all those types of things. But I, I don't know it's that a big overall happened in that time. It's just some, some, some of the maybe concerns or, or the things that like weigh on you, like went for the Leafs. They, they, they came back at a couple of those games early on in their streak. And then all of a sudden like, Oh yeah, we can do this. And, and, you just start to be thinking a little bit less. And so, you know, what I saw in Vancouver was a team that actually was to my eyes, trying hard um, was, you know, gave some degree of of response after, you know, their road trip in that game, but, you know, still missing confidence, still missing Elias Pedersen making a difference or Brock Besser, you know, still with a difficult blue line situation and, and they can't kill penalty. Right. I mean, we talked about that on Monday, but I mean, what was it? Three power play goals against, and then Colorado in the game. Anyway, the point is, they're at the very bottom of the lead and killing a penalty. And if you're on the wrong end, especially teams, you don't win a lot of games. And so, I, again, I, some of that speaks to confidence. I think it's, it's. I mean, obviously, this is not a, this is a flawed <laughs> roster, but they shouldn't be among the worst teams in the league. And right now, they're kind of playing like one of the worst teams in the league. Yeah, I think they allowed two power play goals in the third, including the go ahead goal, which eventually led to Colorado winning and. Yeah, seeing some of the videos in Vancouver of fans yelling fire bending, whether it's in the arena or in the concourse after the game. Yeah, I can imagine why a lot of people in Vancouver feel that times are pretty heavy on them. It's not fun to be a Canucks fan right now, and I can't imagine it's any fun for Travis Green or Jim Benning to be in their jobs, even if I do think that both guys should probably be gone from their jobs, considering what is going on in Vancouver and considering what's going on. With the roster where they should be at, I, I think they could use some changes there. But yeah, it, it doesn't make what they're going through any less easier. Exactly. Um, oh, no, no, no wins there, man. Like w- without some actual wins, there's no wins. There's no wins there. Um, I'll move on to the Ottawa Senators, which actually, I think after we recorded on Monday, uh, the news got out that uh, some games from the Senators would be postponed as the number of their players being added to uh, the COVID protocol was growing and growing. It looks as if right now they're on track to start. Well, not on track, but they're supposed to start back on November 22nd. Uh, From what you've heard from Ottawa or any inklings you got going on there, does it seem like they're going to start back November 22nd? Uh, Do you think they need more time? What do you think about everything going on in Ottawa right now? Well, as we're recording this, and this is a fluid situation, you know, Monday's game, which is in Colorado against Avalanche, it's still somewhat up in the air. I mean, obviously the hope is to, to play that game. You know, really the, the entire Olympic discussion that we've had yeah. you know, is, is about disrupting the schedule as little as possible. And so no, no, no single game, even beyond the three they've, they've already had to reschedule would ever be, you know, everyone matters, I guess is my point, but you know, you have to, they have to still see how many new tests uh, there are basically at this point in time, the players are being tested every single day. Uh, to make sure that, you know, basically you have to determine is, has the spread of this stopped? I mean, is this, have we reached the end and and then just getting everyone through recovery and then obviously clearing COVID protocol. And so, you know, it, it's been a very difficult week there or week and a half, even when they had to play some games down so many players. Yeah. Um, but it does seem like maybe they're turning a corner. I don't think I can perfectly come out here and say, yeah, everything's fine. They're on, on the fast track to return. They're playing that game in, in, in Denver. Um, you know, but these are the first games we've, we've seen, you know, have to be rescheduled this season. And and so, you know, they're doing everything they can. I know that a lot of the, the guys stay in hotels, you know, a lot of players in this case had symptoms too. 
as did uh, you know their their associate coach Jack Capuano. Um, and so that that's also made it difficult. I mean, there have been instances around the league this year where players, you know, have got on the COVID protocol list, but but not actually you know experienced any difficult circumstances or lost taste or had difficulty breathing or any of those type of you know concerning situations. And so, you know, it's it's sort of twofold. You're, you're worried about the health still of everyone, um, but you know, it certainly sounds like they're going to do everything they can to play Monday. Considering how the situation developed to the point that they're at right now. Did you at any point wonder, you know, hey, maybe they should have postponed games well, like a couple days sooner? Like the fact that they waited all the way to like Monday to do this. Is that like the right time? Do you think they should have done this sooner? What do you think about that part? I think it's really easy to second guess from where I'm sitting, you know, honestly, because and I get it. Not everyone wants to give a league or the teams a benefit of the doubt. Um, in these circumstances, obviously they are trying to keep the business going. They're trying to do everything they can and they're and pushing through, but you know, San Jose played games and they were down seven players at one point on the COVID protocol list. I mean, this, it wasn't totally unprecedented. Now Ottawa got to nine and 10 players, so they went beyond seven, but you know, the idea is if, if you identify this soon enough and, and keep everyone apart, I mean, you can, you know, it's not like every time that a player comes up with COVID that eight of his teammates get it. I mean, this is sort of exceptional circumstances. And so, you know, the league did what it could there. I think, honestly, I'm, I am, I, I'd come out and criticize them. I really felt like they were negligent. I think they were doing their best you know, Ottawa from a competitive standpoint, certainly wouldn't want to play down that many players. Um, but the whole league understands, look, this is still an imperfect time. I know as we're all, we're all waiting for normal to walk back through that door, but I'm not sure it's coming yet. It's you not know? coming, I mean, it, man. I mean, not to dwell on that, like I'm not trying to make things heavy around in here. We've done enough of that the last few weeks, but yeah, you know, I just think we have to sort of like recognize that this is a bit of a new normal. Um, you know, all these players are completely vaccinated. You know, we're dealing with breakthrough cases in these circumstances. And so, you know, the good news generally about that is, is you know, symptoms and, and the like tend to be less bad when, when you're dealing with, with individuals that have been vaccinated who contract COVID. And I just think the league's doing the best they can to operate. And, and you know, eventually it had to, to you know, shut things down. Um, but I didn't, I didn't hear of anything that I know to be terribly negligent. It's just, you know, shitty time, man. There's no other way to put it. Shitty. It is, for sure. Uh, but, yeah, it, if, if everything works out according to plan for the Ottawa Senators, uh, November 22nd, that's a Monday. That's how weird time is. Like, I didn't even register in my head that November 22nd is a Monday. That's when they're expected to uh, come back uh, from all the games that they've had postponed. Um, there's one topic that just kind of came into my head, and I realized I kind of saw it floating around on Twitter before we got on here. Did you see what Conor McDavid had to say about uh, the, John, the John Tortorella? Yeah, the penalties thing. Did, yeah, did you see that? I saw that. Like, I, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I love it too. Just like I just got to shut up. Essentially, that's just, he was asked about uh, the penalty issue going on, where John Tortorella on ESPN was essentially saying that maybe Conor McDavid should shut up about the fact that he doesn't draw as many penalties. And I think he was asked about that in a press conference today. And Conor McDavid essentially quoted John Tortorella and said, "Well, maybe I just got to shut up about this." And and even he wasn't trying to be like, you know, like mean i guess or or wasn't trying to be like malicious with it or or maybe it felt like one of those like slight digs like it was a one verbal of those, like, sweet yes it that's it i loved that's, it i loved it too let's face it this is not really a sport we see a lot of war words sometimes in the playoffs you get a bit of back and forth 
uh, in a, in this, in the heat of a series, but in general, everyone avoids this sort of stuff in hockey, you know, compared to some of the other pro sports, especially, you know, this, this would be just Tuesday in the NBA or, or the NFL. Right. I mean, there's, there's certainly a lot more, you know, I guess just sort of playing up that aspect of the show. Um, and I, I love that Connor McDavid did it. I really, you know, I, I went out on Twitter with, you know, after John Tortorella said what he said, like, I didn't agree with his take, but I mm-hmm. mean, the reason he's sitting where he's sitting, like he's coached more games than, than most people have ever walked the earth in the NHL. Like his, he's, he has a right to his opinion, just as I have to mine. I mean, his is probably more informed. I just don't agree with kind of that mindset that you take the guy who does this better maybe than anyone ever and say that he's the problem. Like, you know, I, I think he's got it twisted there. But I also don't mind Connor McDavid sort of doing a playful fire back. And, and like, it's a long season. Storylines aren't always plentiful. Um, you know, I, I don't mind this one bit. And, and I'll be curious to see if ESPN, if they're doing it, their job right, doesn't get John Tortorella now to way back in on, you know, I'm not saying he wants to clarify, but maybe he wants to double down. I mean, I, I, I'm very curious how Torts now handles this now that the ball's been sent back to his side of the court. I thought about it too with with Torts's comments and the fact that not only has he coached so many games, but he he's won a Stanley Cup. And considering the fact he's been a defensive minded coach for much of his career, you could probably go back to that Cup final run and and look at the players that he had, and he could probably say, "Oh, hey, well, I got Martin Saint Louis, I got Vinny Le Cavalier, I got Brad Richards, and all those other guys to you know change parts of their game." So I guess I can understand where he's coming from, but that doesn't necessarily mean I like it. That's how I, that's how I kind of feel about it. Like Connor right. McDavid, I'm sure he's found a way to adjust, and like he'll. I, I wanted to see him succeed, so I think he'll be fine at that. But just seeing him make that comment uh, back, whether he meant to kind of you know get a rise out of people or not, I I, I like the subtle dick. I, I like him being a verbal subtweeter. Let's remember this is a sore point, right? Like Connor McDavid is being asked this on the morning of a game where he's playing Winnipeg. Yes. Uh, a few months removed from a playoff series against the Winnipeg Jets where he didn't get one minor penalty called against them. And we're talking about the fastest, most skilled offensive player in the world, but on the ice in any of those games. And, you know, he's not able to give his team one man advantage situation. Uh, it seems impossible. And, and so I'm sure I actually didn't hear the question, but I'm sure that's the context why it's come up. This has been a sore spot too. Like, and, and not just with Connor McDavid to be fair, but his agent, Jeff Jackson, about a year ago, um, you know, sent a tweet out just, you know, commenting on how star players take too many cross checks. Again, I don't think that was just that aimed at Connor. You know, I know Austin Matthews has felt that at times. And, and mm-hmm. look, it's a physical sport and there is a bit of built in tension there between the physicality and, and what we celebrate these guys for, which is, you know, almost their, their artistic merit, right? Like what they can do in the context of this fast, brutal, physical game and, and they can still make it beautiful. Um, you know, that's what we're celebrating, but, you know, I, I think that there is an underlying tension there with Connor that, that he really does believe he deserves more. And I think he does too. Like if we're not giving the stars, the platform, like, what are we even doing here? Right. I mean, this is, <laughs> I mean, it's the ultimate team sport hockey and I get that. Um, and that's to be celebrated too. I think it's an admirable and the right conditions part of it, but you know, with all due respect to like 700 guys in the league, people are tuning into the highlights looking for about what five to 10 or 20 are doing um, for the most part. And, you know, it's not to diminish the contributions of everyone beneath them, but I think even if you're the 15th person on a roster, you like seeing what Connor McDavid can do too, as long as you're not on the ice when it happens. So, you know, I, I just think that, you know, it's, maybe we've just got to pull some of 
we just got to pull some of the old thinking into the new world and, and remember that it is entertainment. Remember that what Connor McDavid does is like truly special. And I'm cutting him some slack here. He can say pretty much whatever he wants because, you know, he's being respectful again, if we go back to, it's not, to me, he's having fun with it more than, you know, really stirring up a hornet's nest here. That's fair. But if he wanted to cut some kind of like wrestling-esque promo and just be all like, well, what do you care, John Tortorella, and just really go at him as someone who consumes hockey media, I'm not going to be upset if Connor McDavid decides to lean into being a heel. That's that's just how I see it here. Well, fair. And look, he just made the day pretty easy for everyone talking up this game, talking about Mm -hmm. him. I mean... Look at he probably doesn't like everything being scrutinized like most players every day. You're, you're, you're playing with this guy. What's going on here? I mean, this this at least is just low hanging fruit for everyone to feast on for a little while. OK, so we've gone through the topics we've gone through. There's a whole bunch of other stuff uh, that we need to uh, bring up on the podcast. You know what that means, right? Is it going to come out of a bag? Here it is. There's the bag. Uh, I still man. have to. F- Yes, of course. I have to find a way to properly decorate it, but uh, the grab bag is back. I did promise we'd have the grab bag back, and uh, we are bringing in some uh, quick hitters uh, for the next little while here. Uh, how about this one? We're straight out the bag here. I wasn't sure if we are able to get the rustling in because uh, we know there are some people who are into ASMR. Uh, how about this topic to start? What do you think of Troy Terry's hot start? Uh, the Anaheim Ducks forward who finds himself in some Pretty dope company when it comes to goals and points. Guys like Ovechkin and McDavid and Dreisaitl. Seems like he's doing all right. What do you think of Troy Terry and his hot start? The Ducks are probably the team that we've criminally under-discussed on the pod, just given that they have to be one of the biggest surprises in, in the league. I agree. Um, and obviously, we talked about the Bob Murray situation uh, when when you know he resigned as general manager. But, you know, I don't... Look, they, they have assembled a nice group of prospects, uh, some of whom are playing right now, some of whom are not. One of which is Troy Terry, who's you know gets a point in every game it seems, hmm. and you know it's it's pretty exciting to to see where that organization's getting to, honestly. And I, I think that he deserves a little love, does Troy Terry, because you know I get that Anaheim you know isn't getting tons of pub. They're playing late at night, all the all the old sort of tropes, but there's there's some truth to them. Uh, and this is a guy who started for the U.S. World Junior Team and was a late round pick. You know he would this. This wasn't a case of, you know, the Ducks have had had some top 10 selections recently, too. But, um, you know, it doesn't doesn't come by the same pedigree, but has really developed into an impact score for them. He's made a difference. I mean, Ryan Getzlaff, like I I wondered where his career is at. I mean, there was legitimate move to, to have him traded potentially at last year's deadline. Mm-hmm. I think Montreal asked uh, to have him waive a no trade clause or no move clause. Vegas was was hanging around there. You know, it's hard to say how close any particular trade got, but it, it, it was more than just one phone call. If you know what I mean? Like there was, there was some dialogue going on there to see if he would do it. He ultimately chose not to move on. He, he resigned for another year and he, you know, he's, he's just become the leading scorer in, in the franchise history and hit a thousand points. So, you know, good on him, but you know, I think that he's been a bit reborn this year. And so look, some of the, it's not all the bad teams. Like it's easier for us to gravitate and talk to the, the underperformers, whether that is the Canadians this year or the Vancouver Canucks, what have you. But you know, Anaheim's authoring a pretty good story, winning a ton of games, and the Pacific Division. Actually, I thought it was going to be terrible. It's not terrible so far. I mean, uh-uh-uh. Edmonton and Calgary both look fairly strong to start the year. Now you got Anaheim. Like San Jose has been better than expected. LA had a long winning streak. 
you know, Vegas is obviously there kind of trying to work through their injury issues, still slowly getting guys back. Um, but there's, there's, I think that that division oddly could end up producing some drama. And, you know, at this point in time, I'm willing to say with where the ducks have started, like I'd be surprised if they didn't make the playoffs, maybe a little soon to, to jump there, but I've been watching this team. Like Dallas Aikens quietly, their head coach has has got them playing well. And Troy Terry's a big part of that. So let's give them some love. I like, I like where you're at with this, this grab bag item. Okay. All right. Ready for the next one? Yeah. All right. Uh, this next one uh, might be a little bit more serious, actually. Uh, when does the NHL's investigate NHLPA's investigation into Kyle Beach begin? It's underway. It started this week. They they retained okay. the, the the independent firm uh, as of last weekend, and and you know it's my understanding that now people have started to be interviewed. You know, expected to take a couple months, but you know I think it's going to be an interesting process. You know, what remains to be seen is whether Kyle Beach himself will be interviewed as part of this investigation. I know at, at one point Rick West said reported that his lawyer, you know, had said that he's, he's unwilling to, to sort of participate in that, given that he's, you know, discussed these matters with, you know, in the past. Uh, but, you know, I, I still think that that investigation, they'll, they'll try to, to do it in a way that, you know, is, is comfortable for him. Like, I don't know that the scope of what they're investigating when it pertains to the NHLPA has to go into everything again, right? It's really more about, you know, the reporting process and, and you know, how things unfolded from his end and how basically his case slip through the cracks for the PA. But I think there's a number of people, both internal to NHLPA agents, you know, even some players, some of the player reps as part of the executive board, were really curious what this investigation turns up and it's, it's sort of quietly underway now. And, you know, we'll see where it ends up and, you know, whether it's a month or two months before uh, we get the results. Okay. Uh, to the next topic, I, I realize uh, I don't know if anyone caught that, but uh, I think I accidentally threw back the, uh, the Kyle Beach uh, topic back in the bag by accident. But, okay. Uh, we'll, we'll throw this that one out. This is not seamless. Gonna... We're, we're still workshopping this, you know? Yeah, don't worry. Don't worry about this. I might even think about getting like a new shinier bag, actually. But uh, that's more behind the scenes stuff. What's your most memorable memory from covering Dion Phaneuf, who uh, recently retired earlier this week, announced his retirement earlier this week? Good question. You know, I don't even know if, it's safe yet to discuss some of this. Like, I don't, I don't know what the statute of limitations are, but I will say uh, that's a really interesting term. Did he do, did he do something? No, but little, I will uh, say, okay. Like semi cryptically. Cause I, I literally, I hadn't, I, this question's coming as a surprise. Right. And so I haven't thought it through, but exactly. Yeah. He was very, he was very, he's a very good player to deal with. I would say. And there okay. were times, so he was sort of, I actually think he was really misunderstood in, in the Toronto market specifically. Okay. Like he, he certainly wasn't that well beloved uh, for great periods of time. Now, I think part of that is they made him the captain at a time when the team was, was pretty lousy, but not because of his play specifically, just they, they were at a, a rough sort of era of, of their development. And, and he kind of gets labeled with that, but he also did come across a bit wooden and scrums. But when you got to know the guy, like, man, I, I've actually seldom seen a player who everyone raves about him like that. That was the cool thing about seeing him come back to Toronto this week and get honored um, was just the way everyone spoke about him. Like I'm talking 20 ex teammates on Instagram, just people I follow. Like it wasn't just a normal platitudes. Like it was more than just a retweet. If you know what I'm saying, like there was some heart there. And, you know, I always found in my personal dealings with him, he would be very honest uh, when you could get him one-on-one or in a, in a, you know, more sheltered environment. And there were a few times, like he was willing to sort of without 
again, he had a great way of doing this. Like he wasn't giving you like gossip that was detrimental to the team, but he would, he would let you know about like what was being said in meetings, like to give you context to do your job. And so I actually always really appreciated dealing with Dion. Um, actually tremendously so. And so, and still to this day, I mean, I've, I don't have the occasion to talk to him as much now. There's not so much a reason, but I did see him when he was in town this week and, you know, wished him well and all that stuff. And and so he he's one of these weird players. Like, I, I don't know how history will sort of treat him. And, and, you know, it sounds like he wants to get into hockey management or scouting or something in the future. Once okay. his, his family's in a better spot, uh, just better in the sense that he's, you know, he's got a second on the way and he's got a, a young daughter and, you know, he's busy being a dad right now. Um, but he was, he was actually great to deal with. Always didn't, didn't deflect criticism. Didn't blame the media. You know, I just, just a real pro, honestly. That's that's probably probably the, the nicest compliment you can pay someone to. A, a really good human and a, and a great pro, and and over a thousand games. You know, that's 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 a special career. It's going to be harder and harder, I think, over time for players to achieve that mark. It's a pretty uh, some pretty high glowing praise for Dion Phaneuf, who I think his career highlight might still be from the World Juniors with the double Dion. Do you remember the double Dion? Oh. I don't, you couldn't forget that. I mean, that happened to be the 05 world juniors, which was Canada's best team ever. So, I mean, that, that team has been revisited a lot. That hit that clip, you know, Pierre Maguire was the the color commentator of that game. He he calls it the double Dion and he was, you know, in his typical, very excited self, Pierre. Um, Yeah. I think that that will stick with him forever. Dion actually mentioned on, on Tuesday, he did a little press conference in Toronto and he mentioned that like, that's what he gets asked about the most. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I also remember him like it might be a bit forgotten, but that Senators team in 2017, they got the game seven double overtime of the Eastern Conference final against Pittsburgh. He was, oh, he was, he was a big part of that team. And he I was actually on remember that team. he was. And I remember him walking out of the rink. I was in Pittsburgh that night. I remember walking, watching those guys walk to the bus after. And it just, it was just such a solemn. I mean, obviously, any team, you get to the third round and losing double overtime in game seven, like the Stanley Cup finals right there. And they were an underdog yeah. team. But I just remember the look on his face. I mean, like he, probably knew deep down he might not get many more or any more chances as good as that one. And, you know, that's, that's what the sport does to you though. You're even, even when you're on a great team, you're losing the last game of the season more than you're winning it. I forgot about the fact that Dion Phaneuf was on that team. Like I know he was, I remember him being a Senator, but I, it, it, like I, like my mind did not register or just completely forgot that Dion Phaneuf was on that team. We have it time a, for one last topic. For Weird uh, team, though, too. Uh, remember, you finish. Julie, Go ahead. I was going to say, weird team because they almost immediately traded everyone or got rid of every player on that team within like two years. Uh, and that's why they have all the prospects they do now. I mean, they turn them into draft picks. They, they, you know, they drafted high and all those stuff. But like Eric Carlson, that was as good as he ever played, in my opinion, that 2017 yeah. playoffs. And, and I don't know if he slowed down at the end or just, you know, he became human again, but the way he was in the first two rounds in particular against Boston and the Rangers in 2017 is like, I mean, that's a, we, we just saw the hall of fame. I mean, Eric Carlson to me, no matter what happens, I know it's unfortunate, you know, the way injuries have done, like if he doesn't play another game as of this minute, he's a hall of famer for me. And, and in 2017, he might've been in that period of time, granted a pretty specific sliver window, like the best player in the world. That dang ankle, right? Cause he had ankle problems. Yeah. yeah, Achilles, right? Initially, remember he yeah. slices Achilles, and I mean, look, it's this is why the sport is so punishing. It's why it's hard to do it, what Ovechkin's doing, for example, because it's just hard to stay healthy, right? It's it's physical, it's grinding, it's grueling. Um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of great players over the years, from Bobby Orr to go down the list, Mike Bossy. I'm, I'm going way back, but you know, even Mario Lemieux's career was significantly disrupted by injuries and other things. I mean, it's just 
it's hard to be healthy and play 20 straight years in the NHL. In fact, it's nearly impossible. Okay. Uh, we have time for one last topic from the bag. Where are the Arizona Coyotes playing next season? I'm comfortable saying they're playing in Arizona, which, you know, okay. might be interesting to people in itself. Um, you know, I, I really sense that, look, this has been such a tough year for them, right? Like there's two ways. There's, there's, well, there's more than two ways, but there's a few ways to look at where they are right now. I mean, they've won two games all season, um, but they do happen to have eight draft picks in the first two rounds of the upcoming draft. So if there's ever going to be a year where you don't win many games, that's probably a pretty good scenario to be facing. But, you know, behind the scenes, I think that they're stabilizing somewhat and they have a plan. And so, you know, a big part of that plan is getting an arena built in Tempe, which is, is near to Phoenix. And basically, the adjacent city you wouldn't know the difference, uh, essentially, unless you're a local. Um, right. And, you know, but getting the approvals for that, it's going to be entirely privately financed, I believe. Uh, so getting getting the approvals for all that will take some time. And then so they have a lease expiring on their arena in Glendale after the season. And so they're navigating that situation. And, and you know, I, I think they have a number of options on the table or ideas. You know, maybe things change with Glendale. They can extend there. You know, an interesting one that I know they're, they've at least looked into and are considering is, is going to Chase Field, uh, which is where the Arizona Diamondbacks play in downtown Phoenix. It's a dome stadium, but but, you know, the Coyotes seem to have some confidence they could build a, a rink that would live there in the what essentially is the baseball offseason during the hockey season and play the games there if they had to. And so, look, they don't have a plan plan, um, but I, I really don't believe, you know, the NHL owners meet in, in a few weeks time in Florida. You know, this would be a natural topic when Gary Bettman speaks at that kind of meeting. I, I don't think we're going to be talking about relocation or anything after the season. I mean, there it's, it's probably still not ideal and that it's unresolved, but you know, based on what I'm hearing, there's, they've got a lot of different ways that they, they plan to the, the, the different roads they can walk down, depending on how things break. That's really interesting. The baseball stadium. I'm just also trying to picture how, you know, yes, they could play in like the off season baseball months, but say like April, May comes around, say if the coyotes end up being really good, they go to the playoffs and then you have baseball there. How does that work? But that might be too far into it. Well, I think part of it, though, honestly, you'd see the reverse of what the New York Islanders have just done. We know where the yeah. Islanders played 12 road games to start this season. They're opening their new arena, UBS Center. And so they had to start with a bunch of games on the road before playing at home. Uh, my guess is how that would be handled is, is the Coyotes would have a backloaded road schedule. And so they'd play more of their home games in the clear baseball offseason. Look, it's not ideal. The Tampa Bay Lightning, though, years ago did play in a converted uh, you know, baseball stadium. Uh, while they were, you know, getting the St. Pete, what's now the St. Pete times four or no Emily arena. God, I'm Emily myself. Arena, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but same building uh, while that building was being finished. And so it's not without precedent. Um, you know, I think of what's important to underline those, they have options and I believe a real commitment to staying in Arizona for now. Okay. So we've gone through the topics. We've gone through the grab bag. It is now time for our Thursday stick taps. Something we always do on Thursday. I'd like to start with mine. Uh, with uh, a team that is deserving of a stick tap, even though they do not play the sport of hockey. And that is the uh, Canadian men's national soccer team here, defeating here. Mexico in Edmonton at the Ice Teca. There's the Azteca in Mexico, but they played in the Ice Teca in minus double digit temperatures in the freezing cold. Canada getting the job done. They end this year, this calendar year, atop their uh, World Cup qualifying group standings undefeated and have more point or at least they're better right now 
than Mexico, the United States, Panama, all and a whole bunch of other countries uh, in the CONCACAF region as they attempt to reach the World Cup for the first time since the 80s. Nothing short of astonishing from these gentlemen. And I think that that night might end up being a massive turning point for support for soccer in this country. So I give a massive stick tap to uh, the Canadian men's national team on their job well done against the uh, the Mexicans earlier this week. That was my most exciting sporting event I've watched since pre-pandemic days. Just like the, the one that got me most legitimately almost feeling normal again or whatever, just feel like just truly into the game. It was really special. It was awesome. The TV numbers bear out what you're saying there too, that that people are starting to take notice in, in ways they weren't at the start of the World Cup qualifying campaign. You know, I'm, I'm going to go, Julian, for my stick tap to a, a personal one. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's to Rob Rossi, uh, who's a journalist for The Athletic out of Pittsburgh, a longtime friend of mine and, and colleague uh, who, you know, pretty bravely, in my opinion, on Wednesday, shared some some health uh, troubles that he's been dealing with, essentially developed a tremor uh, and, and a pretty significant stutter. Um, you know, he's under the care of, of doctors and, and um, psychologists, I think. And, you know, they're trying to figure out what, what's wrong with him. He, you know, he doesn't have he has more questions and answers, I guess, right now. Uh, but Rob's a great guy, great reporter. And, you know, in a time, much like many people around the sport, I, I think it's very brave of him to, to share that publicly. And, uh, you know, I think we, we should all, I guess, be that honest, if, if you know what I'm saying. And so, Rob, I'm thinking of you, bud. Uh, we know you'll be back soon. And, uh, you know, just just be patient. Don't uh, don't worry about work right now. We'll be here for you when you're ready. Absolutely. Uh, I echo those sentiments. Uh, as Rob is a teammate of mine at The Athletic, uh, he'll be in my thoughts for sure. Um, that's going to do it for our Thursday edition of The Chris Johnston Show. CJ, always a pleasure to do these episodes with you, man. Uh, we'll be back at it on Monday. Ask CJ. Get your questions in now to Chris over Twitter, over Discord. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it be on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music, wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, subscribe to the SDPN YouTube channel. You can get all of our episodes here. You can get all the Steve Dangle podcast stuff here, H Provocateur. And whenever any big announcement comes from Adam Wild, uh, this is the, the place to be for you to find that out. For CJ, I'm Julian saying so long and peace. Johnson Show. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie.